Weirdom. Revelation by and through the mind of an infant. Chapter, 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 chapter. chapter. Eight. The chapter of accountability. Watching the wheels. But there are other things about having been raised Mormon that I used to feel shame about that I don't anymore. I'm actually quite grateful for. Weird. Weird. Huh? Huh? Maybe the thing that I'm most thankful for with this whole experience that I've had with the Mormon Church, and that includes all of the podcasting that I've done and the places that it's led me, the people that it's introduced me to, the different books and just all the things that I've learned. Because I, I wanted to understand the way that belief worked on my mind. And I learned about tradition and folklore. And when I was in graduate school, one of, one of the most influential experiences I had, I went to a lecture by a professor named Elizabeth Loftus. And she was visiting the campus to give this lecture on the malleability of memory. And she had to be escorted by bodyguards because there were a lot of people who thought that what she was telling them was that their sexual trauma as children was not real. When what she's saying is that there are cases when those memories can be manufactured. It doesn't mean that there, it doesn't happen and that there aren't real cases. But anyway, she talked about the malleability of memory and she gave an example of a kid lost at a shopping mall where basically they, they ran this study, I think it was the University of Washington where they had a protocol on how they could plant memories in students that would come in for quote-unquote therapy. (laughs) And it was really this experiment. They would ask them, tell me all these things that you remember about your childhood. And they had done their research. They'd talk to the students' parents and siblings to find out some stories to, to talk to them about. But then they would throw in some stories that they knew had never happened like being lost in a shopping mall and they would just ask these series of questions week after week do you remember this, do you remember this, do you remember this do you remember this and because this one being lost in the shopping mall was grouped in with all these other legitimate memories the students were like ah man I can't believe I don't remember that I Maybe. Yeah, I think I do. No, yeah, I mean, I kind of have this memory. I think I was wearing green shorts. Yeah. Oh, I remember when the woman's uh, speaker came over, her voice came over the speaker system, 
and I found my mom and she gave me such a big hug and then we went out for ice cream. And after a series of weeks, these memories would be created in the minds of these students. And it was a very visceral memory to them. Like some of them reported being able to almost recreate the smell of the cotton candy or of the shopping mall where they were at, you know, these, these visceral memories that were created just by the power of suggestion. And it made me wonder about my own testimony of the Mormon church, because I was still attending at this time, but I was questioning a lot. And when I realized, I, and it didn't take much convincing, her lecture was very convincing as it was. And it just made sense with the way that I was experiencing life and observing the way that life works through the way that I perceive it, through this malleable brain that has things like confirmation bias that work in conjunction with this malleable memory to create this illusion isn't the best word for it because it's not like it isn't real. Of course it's real. Just like the memory in the mind of the student of the woman wearing a red dress that never actually existed, but the memory of it is real. <laughs> there's, there's really something going on in that mind that's creating an experience. That It's a different experience than actually seeing a, a woman in a red dress, but it's still a real experience. And to the, the person that's having it, you can't tell a difference. Because it's, it's the exact same mechanism that's creating it different regions of the brain, but it's the same biology that's creating that experience. And the way that we experience the world seems like we're looking out of our eyes and we see everything around us, but it's these images inside of our brain from the scrambled of the optic nerve, the photons hitting the optic nerve that creates this image inside of our mind. Anyway. So... I'm grateful that I've learned this. Because it's not that I want to or, or even think that I can completely shape and contour my own mind like I would like a pottery a potter working with clay. I I think that there's so much, so many layers of subconscious thought program, thought programming that I'm just so unaware of that filters, you know, like I, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention now to the inner chatter, you know, when, when I'm alone and I'm just thinking to myself, I start watching it. And going, man, of all of the things that I could be thinking of right here in this moment, why am I thinking of this one? And why is this my take on it? And then I attach feelings to it. How, how, does the, how am I feeling right now? 
And what's the relationship between how I'm feeling and this thought? And there was, there was a time when I started becoming aware of this that I thought, oh, with the malleability of memory and the malleability of mind, I can just change things. But I don't know. I, I think it really is kind of like the Jonathan Haidt elephant rider metaphor where I'm the rider, I'm the conscious observer. Sometimes I can get my subconscious mind to to cooperate, but only if it wants to do what I want to do. <laughs> if it wants to do something different, then it, you know, like if it goes into fight or flight mode and it, it narrows the rider's ability, the, the rational decision-making, it just goes into automatic defense mode. So I used to think that you could just change. Like if there's a, a story that you don't like, change it. And it's not that I don't think that it can't change. But where I've seen the most benefit as I've been doing this is just acknowledging, oh, this is an echo of past events. This is part of putting things in an eternal perspective, I think. <laughs> when I recognize that my thoughts are echoes of past events as they encounter the present moment. So the things that are going on around me that are coming in through my physical senses are being processed through my brain and everything's being compared to my previous experience and this is all happening just rapidly subconscious data that I'm carrying around and now when I'm having these kinds of thoughts if it's a self-defeating thought or a regret or a fear I realize that this is the way that my brain is processing things that are going on in my environment around me. And that's all based on my past experience. And my past experience is only a fragment of everything that there is to experience. You know, I could be sitting in a room with 10 other people and we could all see the exact same thing and have 10 very different experiences like our inner chatter, what we think about it, how we feel about it, the details that we remember about it, the details that come to our attention. Uh, very, very different because it's all based on our different genetic makeup, our different biology, and our different environment where we've been, what's influenced us over the course of our lives. And so... I'm able to watch my thoughts and realize this is just one small fraction, one small possibility of interpreting this environment that I'm in right now as it's being filtered through my nervous system. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what other ways this environment could be interpreted.
I'm going to see, based on all my past programming, what I can imagine. But I'm going to keep in mind that there are limits to what I'm able to imagine. And if I were to have a conversation with somebody else, I'm sure they would come up with something that I hadn't even thought of. And there's, there's a kind of humility in that <laughs> that comes from that. But it's, it's an interesting kind of humility because it's, it's recognizing that my perspective is unique, just like everybody else's perspective is unique. And mine's just one of billions. And so you can kind of feel special and not special at the same time. You know, like special but not entitled. Not better than. And it's, it frees up. It, it, it frees up a lot of worry and anxiety even when I'm feeling worry and anxiety to go, oh, this makes sense why I would be feeling this right now. Even if I don't totally understand why, I, I know that it's the outside environment being filtered through my inside environment. And it's like a cash register going ka and then here's this little thought or feeling or instinct or intuition that I have that is another way of my body's, my, my central nervous system communicating to me as if I'm something other than that. Weird, huh? <laughs> People think I'm crazy Doing what I'm doing They give me all kinds of warnings To save me from ruin When I say that I'm okay Well they look at me kind of strange Surely you're not happy now You no longer play the game People think I'm lazy Dreaming my life away Well they give me all kinds of advice Designed to enlighten me When I tell them that I'm doing fine Watching shadows on the wall Don't you miss the big time boy you know
questions Lost in confusion When I tell them there's no problems Only solutions Well they shake their heads and they look at me As if I've lost my mind I tell them there's no hurry just sitting here doing time You're just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round, round, and round. I really love to watch them roll No longer riding on that merry-go-round I just had to let it go Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.